Welcome to The Original Doll. I am your host, James Rodriguez. On The Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who created, and we go behind the scenes and learn so many great stories about all of these icons and the creatives behind. In addition, we help out charity. So for every question or guest answers, we get items donated to those in need. We've been able to help out women in domestic abuse shelters, homeless LGBT plus teens, and more. For more information, go to the website, www.theoriginaldoll.com, or visit me on Instagram, the.original.doll. And I want to give a big shout out to my Patreon patrons. Thank you so much for your support. As many of you know, this is an independent show and I try to keep it as free to all as possible. So with the support of the Patreon patrons, you've been able to allow me to release this globally for free. And as with every episode of the original doll, any audio recording ripping stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you do in fact see any of these snippets released online, please report them to the webmaster. But today I am very delighted to have Pam Shane. Now Pam, many of you will know her and her music. And I'm gonna go right into it because we're gonna talk about her work with Christina Aguilera, her work with Lindsay Lohan, her work with many people. And we clear up a lot of information to honor the greats that she's worked with. And Pam is one of the most positive people I've ever talked to on this show. Her energy you can feel. So don't forget, listen to this. And when you're done, check out those those albums that she's worked on. And I always say, buy the iTunes one, buy the digital album, put those headphones on. The way the technology has progressed so much, it's great to be able to hear these songs in a clearer way, in a way many times the producers initially intended for you to hear it. So go ahead, play those. And I also send out mailings with places that you can get the vinyl that are still in print and more. So if you'd like to join that, you can go ahead, go to the website, www.theoriginaldial.com, scroll down to the comment section, and leave me a comment. And if you have a favorite song out there and you've always wanted to ask a question to the creator, put it on there. Let me know. But we're going to get right to this. Thank you so much. And we go through a lot of information. So be prepared to enjoy. My name is James Rodriguez, and this is The Original Doc. Today's guest is somebody who many of you have been sending dozens of messages and compliments and everything. And this is Pam Shane. Pam, thank you so much for just spending time talking to us. I truly appreciate it. Oh, it's it's my pleasure, James. And thank thank you. You know, songwriters are uh, are really the background people and um, it's nice to get some love. There are a ton of questions, but I want to rewind back because you've worked with many people and your story people may say where is that accent where is it and it's like some people might say is she British is she from New Zealand is she so let's go all the way back and talk about how music came into your life you know as ultimately as a child wow so uh right I was um I was raised in New Zealand in Auckland New Zealand um and my parents were uh, very social people. 
they used to have people around to play darts and pool and and um and so I grew up um listening to their music and country music was big actually in New Zealand Dolly Parton Tammy Wynette Charlie Pride Chet Atkins um James Last my my parents listened to James Last who else do they listen to um uh, sort of my my first um pop thing was ABBA. ABBA were my were really big influence to me. Their melodies. Absolutely loved ABBA. And I used to dance in front of the mirror with uh, my hairbrush <laughs> <laughs> to ABBA and to um to a lot of country music. Dolly. Dolly was a big influence to me, her lyrics and melodies. And I actually um I actually got this very fast vibrato from her, you know, Jolene, Jolene. <laughs> she used to do that really fast vibrato. Um, my voice had that fast vibrato until somebody said to me, ew, you got to get rid of that. <laughs> I wish I'd never got rid of it. It's it. Well, that's something I think people have learned on the original doll is so many people are influenced by the music that is being played around them, not necessarily knowing what you're you're absorbing, you know, as a child. And yeah. it's just, I think it's so cool. And with that vibrato thing, I'm like, oh, but knowing your music, it's like, of course, Dolly Parton would play a part because you tell stories of in, empowerment. You tell stories of individuals. And so your storytelling that you've done, I'm like, this to me, these songs can go on those Dolly Parton playlists with, even if you go to like dream, this is me. It's, it's a, it's a story that you're telling. And what I like is every time, especially with a lot of the early country greats, they have a story to tell. And really, it, yeah, it's, it, it's global. It's global. So, okay. So there you are, you're, you're getting this country influence and everything where to, and then, you know, ABBA comes in, which I mean, they're like oh. the, <laughs> epitome of pop whatever it is do you know what I mean Amazing. those melodies the singings I was totally in I'll tell you a funny little story as well um well my mom I I, I was going to school at this point you know and my my parents did encourage me because I started singing and playing guitar at the age of seven and they did encourage me my mom took me to guitar lessons and singing lessons and and um there was a folk club that I used to go sing in every month called the Titarangi <laughs> the Titarangi folk club <laughs> and um you'd literally people would take a, a piece of firewood and 50 cents and they'd get in and I'd you know I'd get up and I'd uh, there was a song that I used to sing called Nobody's, I'm Nobody's Child. <laughs> well, it was a bit depressing, but um, <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, just, it was it was my childhood. And, um, and I ended up leaving school. Gosh, I didn't go to college. My, my father passed away when I was 15 and my brother and sister were living in London at the time. And my mum remarried. I was so unhappy music just became my world to disappear into and um and I ended up um getting my first job in a bank saving up enough money to get out <laughs> and I went to London and um and started uh doing these uh like actually my first gig was in a in a hotel bank 
So um, like doing cover songs, original cover songs, yeah, doing cover songs. I auditioned. I was actually too young to sing in the restaurant, but nobody nobody said anything. It was like you know a, a swanky restaurant in a hotel um, in London, Heathrow Airport. Funnily enough. And um, I ended up there for three years um, and sort of honing my craft a little bit, you know, and then started doing freelancing work for um, for weddings and bar mitzvahs and all sorts of things. And then started getting into doing session work and, and touring. So I did this for 10 years as a singer, um, which was really groundwork in my songwriting because I was singing other people's songs and and really not knowing it at the time but um subconsciously getting a feel for melody and structure and um you know contrast and how these songs these hit songs that I was singing how, how they work didn't know it at the time but and then um the real turning point into getting into songwriting full-time was um, in 91, I toured with a band called the Pet Shop Boys um, as a backup singer and did a world tour with them. What? I didn't know this part. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did, well, I, I did sessions, um, recording sessions for Alton and Celine and, um, gosh, a lot of artists as a backup singer. And I loved that. Um, the, the money was good and... And, you know, it's just getting better each time. And uh, at one point I came off the road with the Pet Shop Boys and thought, right, I want to get a publishing deal now. That's, that's, that's what I want to do. And so, so from there, though, so you go from, you know, the beginning, then banking, then these, these performances, then you're in, you're in that industry because you're dealing with, you know, you're on these projects working with these people that are huge, huge. And they're not just like they're big in let's say Chicago, Illinois, the names that you've mentioned are, these are global artists. So when you do start like some session work and things like that, how was it the first time that you're doing something like that coming in super green here? You're, you're in a session working on this project. How did you change your mind of going, no longer am I just a listener in there, but now I'm an active participant in this project. Well, it took a while to get there. You know, I, I probably fast-tracked a little bit. Um, it took, you know, I, I, it was a good 10 years session singing. And I built my way up from doing these cover bands and touring with cover, um, cover band. Yeah, touring with cover bands, going to different countries. Um, I worked out in Monte Carlo for six months, which was an amazing experience. I was like the cabaret act in the band that was in the casino, um, uh, right on, it was like the dinner club on the side of the casino. Um, just, you know, improved and improved and got better and then got asked to do these, you know, audition for these tours uh, and got them. And, and really in my career I've just sort of followed my feet really and and I've always been ambitious um and wanted to do more and more and get better and, and better at my craft and it, and it wasn't until I think uh after the Pet Shop Boys tour that I thought you know what if I continue being on the road you know I want to settle down I want to have family 
um, there's always going to be younger girls that they're going to be using for these kind of jobs. And it was always my dream from a very early age to write songs. And um, so I, in a naive way, again, I was on the last night of the tour, the girl that I was doing backing vocals with, Sylvia Mason-James, said to me, what are you going to do now? And I said, we're putting our makeup on at the mirror, you know. And I said, I think I'm going to get a publishing deal. I want to get a publishing deal. I want to be an artist. I want to get signed. And she said, oh, I know this guy, you know, this guy's just started a publishing company. You should go see him. And I, I did. And um, I ended up marrying him. <laughs> We're still well, together. that worked out. <laughs> 30 years <laughs> we've been together. And, um, uh, yeah. How was that, though? How much did you know of what a publishing deal should and shouldn't be? Did you know at that time? Because that's something that the that's the thing that's something that the listeners are like. But how do you know if you're getting a good good deal or not? Or because you didn't have the internet with tons of people where you can you know reach out to this songwriter or reach out to that one and ask them, what should I look for? What shouldn't I look for? So going in there, did you just go well? didn't have anything before not worried now <laughs> oh, nothing I mean I, you know I just met with him and um it was a funny meeting because you know he he was playing the sorry my dog is like going I'm hungry I'm hungry <laughs> feed me <laughs> she's at my feet um <laughs> uh yeah I went in and um you know he, he's the exec with his feet on his desk and, and looking really you know you know important and um he swung back on his chair and his chair collapsed Stop. <laughs> and, he fell off his, and of course that broke the ice and, and it was hilarious and um <laughs> we played some music and <laughs> we walked <laughs> but uh, it was fun <laughs> what a way to meet like your future husband and, and your future business partner your public all at once it's like oh it's fun. <laughs> That's a rom-com right there. Please write this. Please write this or write a musical with all that in there. I know, right? I know. Yeah, it's funny looking back. But um, yeah, we had a few meetings. And at the time, at the time, most people were signing track guys. You know, track guys were in. This was 92. And explain to the listeners what that terminology means. So people that write the music, the, the track, um, you know, it went from it went from writing from scratch with somebody in the room and, and and you know a musician to being given a track to write to, <clears throat> and um, and that was a big that was a big change. It was it was more production driven. Songwriting was more production driven in in the nineties, and um, so not many people were signing top liners like me mm. top liners are people that do melody and lyrics which is what I do um so he was interested um he liked my music and you know we met several times and and before they signed me we went into the studio they invested in a couple demos and they liked what they heard and they decided to sign me it was my first deal it was not the greatest of deals, but it was my first deal, and it and it, it set me off to to other publishing deals. So what was it's that? Thirty year. It's your it's th actually, happy 30 anniversary. Years, thirty years as a published writer. Yeah. How does that feel, though? Thinking about it now, like three decades of of work. Um. Well, yeah, we'll get into it, but uh, you know, the good old days. That was the good old days, and we where a songwriter could make money. 
um, from just album tracks um, and a few hits here and there. But yeah, now it's, it's it's very different for a songwriter these days. But it feels it feels good, you know. Um, I'm mentoring a lot. I'm writing still. I'm I'm still in the game, and I'm still supporting my family with 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 Love my. It. Well, and that's one of those things that I think that the listeners, because I always. I always ask like for the terminology to be explained again, because I always hope we keep getting new listeners and new listeners. And, and if this is their first time listening, that they can hear all these things, because I think there was a thought that, you know, a songwriter goes in there and creates this thing, and then the artist might add on to it, and then it gets released. Many people assumed everything starts in one room together. And right. oftentimes, especially late 90s pop, you know, and after that, it's not the case. You could have, you know, Bloodshine Avant working over in this country doing something. And you could have, you know, you know, Murder Inc. in New York working in this side. And then they put something together. And it's it's so crazy to see that there are those times where those songs are created organically in one room. There are there are still those times. But also I feel like nowadays it's like I get excited for albums still because sometimes great there's a song that hits the radio perfect great but if you only listen to that one song on that album you're missing out on so many other collaborations and you have several stories and this is the part that I really like is we've talked before with like Britney Spears and other people where songs go through oh this group wants it this group wants it they want it who who's 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 going to release this first and we'll we'll go talk about that yeah um but so let me ask you though, when you finally get a song that you created that gets cut, do you remember that first time you ever heard any of your songs on the radio? Like oh, what yes. was that experience like? So come on, talk about that. <laughs> That's an amazing experience. Um, firstly, you know, I think, uh, I don't know whether people understand that, you know, a songwriter could write 30 songs and only one song is ever cut. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it doesn't happen where every song you write goes out there and gets gets pitched to an artist. Um, you know, in those days, um, in, in the 90s, a lot of artists didn't write their own material and songwriters never actually got to meet the artist, um, which was, was really crazy. I mean, I never met Christina until she came out to the UK and the song was in, in the charts. Um, but yeah, one of the first, because I lived in the UK for 29 years. Um, and uh, I was up a ladder, I think, painting, <laughs> painting my kitchen ceiling um, when we were listening to the chart countdown. Um, I can't remember. I think it was, it might have been Kavanaugh or one of those artists, Emanate or Kavanaugh in the UK. Um, I think it got to number eight. And um, and that experience of hearing your your song on the radio, and I think I danced around the kitchen with my paintbrush, <laughs> <laughs> not the hairbrush this time, the paintbrush. You have evolved. It is not a paintbrush. <laughs> I've come so far, <laughs> but um, it's it feels so good. And then you know, fast forward to the moment, the first time I I heard Jeannie in a bottle on the radio in America when I just literally got off a plane um, and Susan Koch, who was my uh, publisher, 
uh, picked me up from the airport and she said, it's going to be on the radio in a minute. I know it. And she had a, a, a you know, a, a roof, uh, what do you Vertical? call it? Or a uh, sun, or, sun I know roof. what you're talking Sunroof that comes, sort of comes back and, and it came on the radio and I'm like, I, <laughs> I got up to the sunroof and I was like, it's my song. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta, you gotta enjoy those moments because they don't happen that much. <laughs> well, that's what I was gonna say. Because something else is, so many people I've talked to are like, you remember hearing that song for the first time, and just it's that excitement. And then there's like when you see them perform it live, that's a different kind of excitement. But they're yes. like, you never forget when you hear a song, and it, it's that unsolicited time where it's just like you're randomly going, "What's happening?" Boom, the song comes on that it catches you off guard. You're like, there. I think it was even. Dolly Parton with like, I will always love you. She talked about, she was like in a car driving back from like Dollywood and she heard Whitney's version on the radio. She's like, oh, this song sounds familiar. And then she's like, I almost hit. When it finally got to that, she's like, I knew she was going to do it, but it caught me off guard that it was being played on the radio and that that was the final version of it. She said in all of her years, she said that was a time that caught her off guard. So I could only imagine everyone's experience is wait, that's, those are my lyrics off, you know, sometimes it's like, th- those are my background vocals in there. The part where you can go, this is amazing. It's out in the world. How was there the happiness? Was there the nervousness? Was there the imposter syndrome that people talk about where you're like, are people going to, is this good? Is this not good? Like, where were you at mentally then? Um, what, when Jeannie came out? Yep. Um, well, th- I mean, that, that was a, yeah. <laughs> okay, here, I'll actually go back. I'll rewind this part. Well, I mean, I'll still keep this in there, but this will go to the question that is is about this because I had several people asking, because um, we'll talk about Jeannie right now because for those people, most of the people that are listeners are, know that you're the writer of Jeannie Nevada, which is awesome because th- we've gotten questions where somebody said, can you please ask Miss Pam? She wrote Jeannie for Extina. Can you ask her when did she find out her song would be translated to Spanish? I listened to the English version and repeat with my girlfriends when we got ready for this in high school. The song gave me good memories. Can you thank her and everyone involved? Another question was saying, Genie in a Bottle was such a great time for me. It reminded me of the days where I could just turn on the radio, laugh and giggle. It reminds me of those days. I lost my dear friend in a drunk driving accident, but that was our song together. So I always think of that song kindly and fondly. Can you please ask her to talk about it? I know that it went through other people before it got to Christina, but I just think the song deserves even more shine on an already classic bop. Well, um, Christina was the first one to cut the song. I mean, it did, it was sent out to, um, actually there were three, there were three artists that wanted it. Innocence, a, a girl group on, ah, there you go. Innocence. <laughs> um, same label as Christina um, and Paula Apple and Christina. And, uh, you know, we had to do our due diligence on the record. David, Frank, Steve Kipner and myself wrote the song together in Topanga Canyon in, I think it was, gosh, I always get this wrong. It's either 97 or 98. I think it was 98 um, because the song came out in 99, pretty sharp. Mm. Uh, and, and normally it takes, you know, it takes a good six months to a year um, uh, to, you know, once the singers, the artists said they're going to do it, uh, but they were looking for the first single, and um, and they wanted they wanted 
to use Genie as the first single, which really secured our decision. And uh, obviously we were in great company with Shelley Pikin and Diane Warren and some amazing writers on, on that record. That was one of those things where it's, many people don't even know this side of the songwriting is, many people are like, oh, I'm grateful to have this one artist do it. But then when it's, you know, there are many options, you just go, sometimes it's up to the publisher, you know, sometimes, you know, there's all different hands in that. But looking at it, knowing this song would be a part of a debut song. And this is, Brittany already had Baby out at the time because that came out in the summer of 98. It was like half a year before. But mm -hmm. everyone was seeing this pop music is is coming back and we need those big sounds, those big things. How did it feel, you, feel for you knowing this was going to be on a debut album that they put a ton of money you knew that this was going to be this big project. How did that feel? That felt wonderful because you're part of um, putting that artist on the map as their first single and being part of, um, you know, creating that whole buzz around them. So it felt so good to be part of the whole uh, project. Um, Ron Fair was A&Ring and um, he loved the song, was you know, really, really pushed for it. And David and Steve got the production, so that was another plus. Um, and they were ready to go with the record, whereas, uh, you know, I don't think Innocence were ready to go with their record. Paula Abdul hadn't had a record out for a while. Christina was a new young artist. She had a stupid, crazy, amazing voice. Um, so it was a bit of a no-brainer, really, you know, um, and we're really glad that we went for it. Um, I always talk about this because, you know, I don't think um, sometimes you don't you don't know when it's your work, um, if it's going to be big or not. You know, and we walked out of the studio that day and everyone was like, yeah, this is great. This is great. This is this. This feels like a smash. You don't really know when it's your baby. Um, and it sounded so different. I wasn't sure whether it was going to break at, at radio. Um, certainly once I was back in the UK and I was like, mm, yeah, there's nothing on the radio that sounds like this. And that, hello songwriters, <laughs> remember that because what you need to, to do is be the leader, not the follower, you know, put out stuff that is different and unique. That's what people are looking for. See, and that is great advice because what I love is we had Alex Greggs on, another producer. He worked with NSYNC and, and, uh, and Rodney Darkchild. Uh, and what was crazy is he said, the label can say, we want you to do A, B, C, and D because that's what's on radio. He goes, guess what? I do E, F, and G. And half of the time they're like, oh yeah, that's exactly what we want. And he's like, they're trying to chase something that by the time it goes out, it's going to sound stale. So do the opposite. But to exactly. your point, it's like, because Genie was so different sonically, you know, it could be played on pop, rhythmic, everything. And there was something more adult about a song that could be considered teen pop because it was more the content, the style, the singing, the singing stood out. You know what I mean? And for those listeners, in November of 2021, Genie was officially certified double platinum in the US. I don't know if you know this. Oh, November of 2021 in the United States, it was just uh, double platinum. And in the UK, it is platinum in the UK as well. And a bunch of other countries. 
I'm hopping out for a quick second to update some of the fun facts about this song, Genie in a Bottle. And as many of you know, on my different socials, go ahead and find me on Instagram, the.original.doll. And a big shout out to my Patreon patrons. And don't forget, for as little as a dollar a month donating, you're able to help keep this, the original doll James Rodriguez, alive and running. Now, here's what's great. I go through all sorts of archives, and I was going through the iTunes archives. And this is what I found out. Since 2019, so just in the past four years, okay, Genie in a Bottle has charted on over 50 countries worldwide. Now, this is a huge deal because that is 100% based on people purchasing the song. That's right. It's not radio play where somebody is pushing the song or marketers are paying for ads on there. This is 100% based on the purchasing power of the people. And this song we're coming upon, you know, next year will be 25 years of this song. And it was able to chart in 50 different countries worldwide just in the past four years. And here's what's even great. Just in the past couple of years in the Netherlands on the R&B charts, okay, on iTunes, this song would peak at number five. That's right. Genie in a Bottle would peak at number five on the R&B iTunes charts in New Zealand. And that's just in the past couple of years. So this is why I like sharing these things because these songs have gone so long. We knew how big the song was when it came out. But imagine having a song that is still seeing success almost 25 years later. And that's the sort of facts I like giving and honoring because Pam is one of those artists where she's created so many great songs. And not only was it just a snapshot, but people still love the song today. And we talk about all the different variations of it and everything. But I just like doing this to honor all of these great women in the industry because they do a lot. They carry a weight of a lot of this industry on their shoulders. So I just want to give them props for that. And don't forget, follow me on Patreon. Little is a dollar a month. You're able to help support this. And in addition, that's how I get all the data and everything. Subscribing, becoming a member of this chart, that chart, all sorts of things. So all the money raised is able to help keep this with all the research going. Now we're going to get right back to this. It was one of those songs that went even dance charts. It went, you know, rhythmic everything. What was insane is that like the the number I said was that was just about pop airplay, let alone anything else, anything outside of that, which to me showed the global appeal and that it was different and it was good because it could be different and not good and you wouldn't have the same results in that. Um, so the second part of this, so for the songwriters, so the song ends up getting translated into Spanish. When do you find that's going to happen? How do you... Are you a part of that? So if a songwriter is listening, how did your situation work where your song gets translated into a different language? Yeah, so we get asked by the publishers. Um, there's a wonderful um, Spanish writer called Rudy Perez who did this, the translation for us. Um, and so, yeah, it was pretty much around the same time because she was making a Spanish record at the same time. So how did that, but then hearing that, what did you think of when you heard that, the Henio Etropado? How did you feel about that? Were you like? Oh, amazing. How, how lucky are we to, to have that market as well? Um, and Christina actually has done an interpolation of that on her new record. Um, I can't remember which, the, 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 the actual title. Um, but we just, we, we, found, we found out after it was released. Um, but there's a slight interpolation of Genio Atropado. Uh, I think she does. Ooh. She does the, I'm a genie in a bottle, but, you know, uh, but in Spanish. 
and so and you also have you're another you're one of those people that like you're in a small group of people right here not only do you have it in spanish then for her greatest hits album the original version goes on there then the linda perry produced genie 2.0 gets on there so it's like this Thank is the this yeah. is like that engine that keeps going how did that feel hearing linda perry's production with something that you created and it was 10 12 years before oh amazing amazing yeah no um it's the gift that keeps giving and we're so so grateful for it uh camilla cabello did the same thing with um crying in the club crying in the club thank you <laughs> crying in the club um when we heard that it was like wow um and then jason drillo used a, a piece as well our, our melody in the chorus um it's it's such a compliment um, it's such a compliment. And really. so you're you're doing that now at the time of like 98, 99, we're still kicking off with things and you end up right around that time. There's a song. It was definitely before Jeannie. So it was um, probably 96, 97, maybe, um, when Billy came out with that. Uh, Tim Law wrote it with Tim Laws. And I always remember getting the demo back from him because I sang the demo. And it was one of the first songs that I'd received, or so first demos that I'd received back that was so amazingly done and so well produced loved working with Tim and um we pitched it to uh Billy's A&R guy and they were like yep we want it it was third single because the Billy album came out in 98 because that came out around the same time that um Britney's baby single was starting to hit the charts and the UK, it's like for those people who know Billy and Billy Piper, Doctor Who, you know, like it's it's so She's an crazy. amazing actress, really great actress. She's one of those people that like her career. There are people that don't know that she had a music career before. Before, and it's so it's to me, it's like a fun thing. And she wants you. That was something where it was just a song that made like that album, Honey, to be just made me happy. I never went into the studio. Was I in the studio when he recorded that? No, I don't think I was. But I did meet and work with Billy um, later on, a couple of years down the line. I was in the studio with her recording, and that was fun. She's she's one of those people that like she had these two albums come out. There were some remixes, compilations, and everything. And it was like her last album that she created. It was still so good, and she was just like, "I'm good. I want to evolve to this next thing." I'm well, like. And, and you know what? I mean, acting is definitely her home. I mean, you can see that that is where her heart lies and she's a, a darn good actor. So when you work on something like this, let's say with, with even Jeannie and Billy, specifically about these two, did you get to listen to the other songs that were on the project before they came out to kind of really? No, no, never, never. Um, unless the A&R person wants to, you know, if you go into their office, they they are very protective of um, uh, 
of the songs that are going to be on a record. They're not going to let anybody hear them unless they maybe play you a snippet or something in the, <laughs> in the office, but they would never send out tracks like that. So you were as surprised about like the rest of those, the, the songs that were on there, which is to me is, is fun because there are, I think it was um, Shelly that said, you know, there were times she goes, yeah, it gets really competitive. She goes, but if it, if I didn't get it, I'm happy that she got it or he got it. Like there's the part where you're like, eh, it just wasn't for me today. She's like, of course you could be annoyed by it. But as long as one of your friends is on the project, you're like, you know what? That that's cool. Still support that project. Company. Yeah. Well, that particularly with Shelly was tough because, you know, Shelly and I were on, we, we were signed to a, a publishing company called Hit and Run, which is Phil Collins and Genesis publishing company for many years. We we're on the same label. And so, you know, Shelly became a friend and, <laughs> and she had the number one spot with What a Girl Wants until we came along with Jeannie and knocked her off um to but but she was she was fine with that um I think because you know she got like the number one the first number one of the millennium so um yeah there's always <laughs> a silver lining right <laughs> I love it and that's that's one of those things where so many people don't realize is like um when Shelly talked about um come on over then come on over baby where they brought her in they're like can you just you know give some flavor to this we we want to add some more because this was at the time, we're still in, you know, 99, 2000, where the albums, you could have singles for a couple of years out. You know, I always tell people like Janet Jackson could have three years on the radio with the same album, just different singles that nowadays, I feel like for me as a consumer, if a single doesn't take off, oop, done, move on to the next thing. And these albums get eaten up so quickly nowadays that you don't have the long radio, you know, plays. There are still some that hit that, but you are on there. So we have another one is uh, the original doll. Can you ask Pamela Shane how she got started in music, which we heard this. And when you crack out CDs and show some love to old, I look at credits and Pamela's name is on some of my favorite songs, including Dream, M to M and O-Town. Give her a high five for me because she made music that made my childhood, Vlad in Moscow. That's so nice. It's so nice because, you know, you don't you don't ever think, oh, people are looking at the the liner notes and who wrote a song. It's it's always the artist that gets the, um, you know, that gets the credit <laughs> or the love, you know, so it's really nice to hear those sort of stories. So thank you. It's it's always it's always funny for me because like I've seen your name and I was like, is it Shane? Is it Shaney? Because for me, I only knew your name in print one way and it's like the first time I read the Harry Potter book I'm like is it Hermione is it Hermione you know I'm like I never know so I always feel bad and I tell the songwriters and producers I'm like I'm really sorry I said but I I know your name I know all these these, these things the pronunciation I'm like so it's like for me it's like 15 years of thinking your name is pronounced this way and then finding out it's like like Kevin McAllister in Home Alone so let's talk about the dream album because dream uh, one of our previous guests, Casey Livingston, was on here and she was talking about being on, on the, the Dream album. Yes. Dream gets a lot of love still. And Dream, the album, uh, I think it went gold in the United States. Yes. You were on the two, two of their, I should say, two of their biggest singles. So talk so, a little bit about how you got brought in for everything from This Is Me. This is the remix, uh, the promo remix. Yes. So, um, so obviously it, it was around 
it was just after obviously genie had hit we were number one in the charts and you know uh we were hot at the time so uh we were getting asked to to write for various different artists and um I was, I actually got married in 99. We, we flew out to New Zealand and got married. My mum passed away this uh, literally three weeks before we got married. It was, it was, mm-hmm. it was such a, um, a bittersweet year. Um, obviously, uh, Jeannie in a Bottle was a number one. It, it was, it was a crazy year for us. Um, but on the way back, my husband said, why don't you, write the first song of the millennium with David and Steve on the way back from New Zealand. We'll stop into LA and, and go write, you know, go write some songs with the guys, you know? And I said, oh, I'm probably going to want to get back. And, and he's like, come on. So I was like, okay, okay. So we did. And, um, and we wrote, he loves you not. Uh, we, I don't even know at the time whether we wrote it for dream. I think we pitched it to dream. It was a song that we just wrote together. I think we may have written He Loves You Not and This Is Me at the same time. Um, and they pitched it uh, not long after. And they they came in and cut it with the guys. I was way back in, you know, in, in London by then. And um, and we got their first single, which was amazing. And then, then their second single. So it was it was a fantastic run the following year at Christmas time in two, 2000 is it tw- yeah 20 because he loves you not came out in like fall 2000 yeah it it was number one we were back in Australia at the time Australia and New Zealand um and it was number one in the charts oh no no not number one number two sorry we got to number two independent woman was the only song that was sort of stopping us from getting to number one <laughs> which you're like oh but oh. yeah i know so, right <laughs> well and that's the that's the funny part about this is so many people are like man this song didn't go number one and then when it's like i talk to somebody they're like one sweet day mariah carey oh uh, you know boom boom child, like, oh, okay you know it's like yeah. my album was gonna be there but what was the number one album the bodyguard soundtrack uh, yeah. you, you know you're like exactly okay Okay, yeah, but, but it's not the well. Yeah, pretty well for a debut artist. Yeah, hopping okay. back in. Yeah. Um, hi, James. I got the links you got out to people. I bought Teenage Drama Queen. Can you please ask how fun it was for Pamela to make a song that is a lot of fun? Thanks, Savannah in Manila. Because what I do is I let some of the listeners know. I send out links to uh, where to buy on iTunes if something is still in print. I'll send out like if it's at uh you know target exclusive it's still a first run so i'll send out links ahead of time then when i'm done i'll send out a link to listeners to be like here's where you can still purchase the first so that of course they can find a song and e or cd on ebay and buy that especially out of print that's fine but i usually say this is the way to help the songwriters you know producers involved this order so uh yeah so the question is how did you get involved with the teenage drama that song makes me smile the Lindsay lohan ah! song that legitimately is one of those songs that I put on. I'm like, this is just fun. It's just fun. So how did that come to be? We will be back with Pam Shane and we're going to break down drama queen, that girl. 
and more. And don't forget, for every listen we get in the first 24 hours on Apple Podcast, we're able to get items donated to those in need. Women and children in domestic abuse shelters, homeless LGBT plus teens and more. If you were able to see last month, we were able to distribute over 100 goodie bags filled with some great personal items and items of love for women in shelters. So follow me on Instagram, the.original.doll. And if you really, really want to support the show, go ahead and do so for donating a dollar a month on Patreon. Go ahead and find it, www.theoriginaldoll.com. And we have more coming up very, very, very soon with Pam. My name is James Rodriguez, and this is The Original Doll.